Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. I want to welcome all of us at Center Street Church, those of us meeting here at Central Campus, as well as those watching from our campus in Northwest Calgary, Bridgeland, Airdrie, and South Calgary. I also want to say hello to our online viewers as well. Today I'm continuing uh, the sermon series, Through the Wilderness, where we are looking at uh, the 40-year journey of God's people right before they entered the promised land. The wilderness is a common metaphor in the Bible to describe a season of testing and trial. In fact, Christians all through history attest to the wilderness experience. In this undesirable place, God shapes us and prepares us for what he is going to do next in our life. On the outside, the wilderness may seem like a barren place. Vegetation is sparse. Everything looks dry. Resources are limited. It is not the ideal condition for life to flourish. Can anything really good come out of it? And interestingly, as you read the Bible, you will see that the wilderness doesn't always have a negative connotation. In fact, amazing spiritual encounters happened in the wilderness of all places. God often reveals himself in the wilderness. Abraham decided to follow God's call and was led into the wilderness, but it is here he receives the promise of an inheritance like the stars in the sky. Moses encountered God after spending an extended time in the wilderness, and then he received the calling to deliver Israel from bondage in Egypt. David learned to trust God in the wilderness, and there he was prepared to be Israel's next king. Immediately after Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness, after which Jesus started his public ministry of teaching and healing. So spiritually speaking, the wilderness is a happening place. In the first message of the series, I talked to you about Israel standing at the threshold of the promised land, all set to make history. The promise of centuries was about to be realized as God urged them to take possession of the land. But the people caved into their fears and turned away a God-given opportunity. The last time I spoke, we looked at the refreshing example of Caleb and his unwavering faith. Now, if you analyze the main reason for Israel's failure to enter the promised land, as recorded in Numbers chapter 13, it was their lack of faith and inability to trust in God's promises. And now the next 40 years in the wilderness... God was going to teach them faith lessons so they can grow in the very area they had failed. A journey that should have taken them only days lasted for 40 years. And through this experience, they will learn that God was trustworthy. It is so true of our wilderness experiences today as well. God teaches us profound life lessons in the difficult seasons of life. For it is often in the wilderness we come to realize that God is reliable. This weekend and the following one, we're going to look at one of the defining chapters in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 8. 
I'm going to ask us now to stand as we read God's word from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 to 5. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. God, we affirm today that we cannot live on bread alone, that we need the, the nourishment that comes from your word. So would you speak to us, Lord, in a fresh new way? I especially want to pray for people here who are going through a wilderness experience, that this message will minister strength, will bring encouragement, and together as a community, we will learn to trust in you and in your faithful provisions. So we commit this time, Lord, to you and to the leading of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. There is a word that has almost disappeared from our modern-day vocabulary, and it is a word that I absolutely love. And though this word itself is not used often in the Bible, the meaning of this word is exemplified all through Scripture. The word I'm referring to is providence. Divine providence is the governance of God by which he directs all things in the universe. God is actively involved in his creation, and he guides them to fulfill his purposes. God's providence applies not just to this vast universe, but it applies to each of our individual lives as well. And it is such a comforting doctrine for a believer to know that we can see our life's problems within this framework of God's purposes. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 affirms the providence of God when it says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. All things don't work together for good randomly. There is a God who is behind the scenes orchestrating his good purposes through all circumstances. God specializes in circumventing what may be an adverse event and turn it around and bring something good out of it. Moses communicates this very clearly here in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 16. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. Something good was going to come out of their time in the wilderness. It's the same idea as in Romans chapter 8. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. 
how critical it is for us to see God's invisible hand at all times, especially in the wilderness. For even in a wasteland, a Christian can be confident of this, be it human opposition or satanic activity or the trials and challenges of life, they ultimately end up contributing to a greater, grander purpose God has for our life. And God uses the wilderness to teach us life lessons so we learn to depend on Him fully. So as Moses is speaking to this new generation that is all set to enter the promised land, he wanted them to learn lessons from the past 40 years in the wilderness. Lessons on dependence. So verse 2 of our text tells us, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart whether or not you would keep his commands. Moses exhorts this new generation to remember the years of wandering in the wilderness and learn lessons from it. There are life lessons hidden in those years of wandering. And when we fail to glean those lessons, we waste our wilderness experience. God was good to Israel even in the wilderness. He did not just drop them in the wilderness and let them fend for themselves. Far from it. The book of Numbers tells us God journeyed with them through the wilderness by a pillar of cloud in the daytime and a pillar of fire by night. So the Israelites were not lost in the wilderness. They were led in the wilderness. You know, I had never seen a GPS until we came here to Canada. When I used it for the very first time, I was just blown away by the technology behind this little device that can give me directions so I can reach my destination. Sometimes I would deliberately make wrong turns just to upset my GPS, but it never ever lost its cool. It calmly recalculated my path and we were still in good terms. Makes you wish your wife's like that. You can forgive your mistake so easily. <laughs> so the cloud and fire were a God-given GPS system to the Israelites. It never failed. For 40 years, whenever they needed guidance in the barren landscape, they looked up to this cloud that was a visible expression of God's presence. And God guided them. Whenever the cloud moved, they followed it. That was their cue. And take note of this. Israel's job wasn't to find their way to the promised land. That was God's job. Their responsibility was to merely follow the Lord's leading. In our own personal wilderness, we are preoccupied with finding the way out. But God is more interested in teaching you obedience that you learn to follow His leading. God's goal clearly is not to take you from one destination to another in the shortest possible time. Because the shortest route can sometimes bypass life's important lessons. And Moses tells here, God led them into the wilderness for two reasons. To humble and to test them. 
This was no purposeless wandering. This was a time of intentional spiritual formation. God had brought Israel out of Egypt in an instant, but the purpose of the 40-year wilderness was to take Egypt out of Israel. And then they would be ready to enter into the promised land. Three times it tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 8, God used the wilderness to humble them. It's fascinating considering the fact that these folks were slaves not too long ago. These are not proud professionals flaunting their achievements. They were laborers doing menial tasks. And if God needed to humble them before he could use them, how much more he needs to humble us today? C.S. Lewis called pride the great sin. It is the sin from which all other sins arise. Church Father Augustine said, it was pride that changed angels into devils. It is humility that makes men as angels. In the wilderness, God wages a war on our pride. And he brings us intentionally down on our knees. And I tell you, this humbling is God's gift to us in the wilderness. Look at verse 2 again of Deuteronomy chapter 8. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Moses is saying God not only wanted to humble them, but he also wanted to test them to see what was in their heart. The wilderness is like a spiritual stress test. It shows the true condition of your heart. It will bring to the surface what's hidden beneath. So if you have a spirit of fear, it will manifest itself in the wilderness. If you have a habit of complaining, guess what? It will surface in the wilderness. If you have a problem with anger, the wilderness will bring it out. God tests us in the wilderness, not because he doesn't know what's inside our heart, but he wants us to know what's inside our heart. The wilderness reveals your heart. It reveals something very important about your relationship with God and how much you trust him. Is it comfortable? No. Is it necessary? Absolutely. There was a man named Fred who was a faithful churchgoer. And one day his pastor came to know that Fred was in the hospital. So the pastor went to visit him. And as he stood beside the bed, Fred's frail condition suddenly grew worse. And he frantically motioned for something to write on. The pastor lovingly gave him a piece of pen and a paper, and Fred used his last ounce of strength to scribble a note, and then he died. Well, assuming this was an emotional note from Fred, maybe some words of appreciation for his ministry, the pastor decided that he would go home and read the note. He slipped it into his jacket pocket and completely forgot about it. Just a few days later, the pastor was speaking at Fred's funeral, and at that moment, he remembered that note that Fred had given to him. Thankfully, he was wearing the same jacket that he had worn when he had visited Fred. 
So at the conclusion of his message, the pastor said, you know, Fred handed me a note just before he died. I haven't read it, but knowing Fred, there's a word of inspiration there for all of us. And he unfolded the note and read out loud, hey, you're standing on my oxygen tube. <laughs> you know, sometimes that's how it feels like when you're in the midst of a wilderness experience as though somebody is standing on your oxygen tube and you're gasping for air. Why would God allow something like that? Let me show you what God wanted to precisely teach the Israelites through this experience. This is the reason they were enrolled in the school of the wilderness for 40 years. Verse 3. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. God intentionally caused them to hunger and then provided for their need. It's his way of teaching those who doubted him that he can be trusted. Now, how easy it is for us to find security in the wrong things. And God may temporarily hold back physical necessities in order to show us the importance of the spiritual ones. Moses is saying in our text, God caused them to hunger. Here's the problem. The wilderness didn't have adequate food and water. What would happen to a group of two million people when they have to journey without food or water in a wasteland? They were looking at certain death. God had cut off all supplies so they may lean on him. That is what makes the provision of manna in the wilderness so special. The Israelites did not perish in the wilderness because God supernaturally provided for their needs. The first mention of manna in the Bible is in the book of Exodus. Two months into the wilderness after being released from Egypt, the people started complaining and murmuring. They wished that they had never, ever left Egypt. And when they were faced with a food crisis, God promised them miraculous supply of bread. Look at Exodus chapter 16, verses 4 and 5. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Can you picture that? Bread from heaven rained every day in the wilderness for 40 years. It was nothing like that people had ever seen or known. So the word manna in Hebrew actually means, what is this? God was teaching them to depend on him daily. So he gave them provision that was just sufficient for that day. No holding was allowed. Every morning, the Israelites had to look to God for food. When they went to bed at night, they had no bread in the house, no milk in the fridge, no breakfast cereal in the pantry. 
They had absolutely nothing to feed their kids. Now, wouldn't you agree that it takes a lot of faith to sleep at night without knowing how you're going to eat the next morning? Every day they had to pray to God, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. The seventh day they had to trust that God's provision from yesterday will last today. And in all of this, God was faithful. Not once did anyone have to miss out on food. The people who earlier doubted God learned now that he is dependable and they experienced his mercies morning after morning. And I tell you, this is no ordinary task to feed that many people in the wilderness. Let me do some math with you. God told that each person should gather an omer of manna for a day. Omer is an ancient uh, unit of dry measurement, roughly equivalent to 1.5 kilograms. So when you count all the men, women, and children in Israel at that time, they came to 2 million people. So you're looking at 3 million kilograms of manna for a day. That is massive, like the 3 million kilogram of snowfall we had yesterday. You know, today that amount of manna would require 10 trains, each having 30 cars and each car carrying 15 tons for a single day's supply. Imagine six days a week for 40 years. So even though they were walking through a barren wilderness, not one of them went hungry. Not one of the two million people. That is an amazing testimony to God's ability to provide. And not just that, look at verse 4. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. When you're in the wilderness, you don't have a wardrobe full of clothes, no extra pair of shoes. God miraculously took care of his people in the wilderness and arrested their clothing and sandals from wearing out. So in a rugged wilderness, walking on difficult terrain in extreme weather conditions, their clothes and shoes lasted for 40 years. That is simply mind-blowing. There's a lesson hidden in that. For some of you right now, you're in a season of walking in the wilderness, and you feel like your supply lines have been cut off. You look all around you and the doors are shut tight. Everywhere you turn, it is barren and dry. All of your coping mechanisms work no more. You have run out of options and you're literally at the end of the rope wondering where is my help going to come from? And if you have come to the end of your resources, let me remind you today, God's character has not changed. He's the same God who supplied for the needs of two million people in a wasteland. You may be out of job, out of health, out of family, out of friends, out of luck, but you are never out of a savior. Right in the midst of your personal wilderness, God wants to prove to you that he is reliable and trustworthy and well able to take care of all of your needs. Years ago, Andre Crouch wrote a song called Through It All. 
I wanted to sing this to you, but considering your safety, I decided to read it. Uh, the last paragraph of the song says, beautiful lyrics, I thank God for the mountains, and I thank him for the valleys. I thank him for the storms he brought me through. If I never had a problem, I wouldn't know that he could solve them. I would never know what faith in God could do. If you never ever had a problem, how would you know that God could solve it? You didn't know God provides until you had a financial need. You didn't know God heals until you were sick. You didn't know God's power until you were weak. You didn't know God can put your broken life back together until you were broken. Have you ever been in a place where you came to the end of your resources and if God doesn't come through, you're finished? I tell you, that is a good place to be in. Because that's when faith is no longer an intellectual concept, but it becomes the matter of your heart. That is the place where you learn true dependence. It is in this furnace your trust is being forged. And in this place of desperation, you will discover God is able to meet all of your needs according to his riches and glory. In fact, manna was such a special gift that the Israelites placed some of it in the Ark of the Covenant as a permanent visual reminder of God's provision during the 40-year journey in the wilderness. What was the one lesson God wanted to teach them through this? Look at verse 4 again. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The whole point of the manna miracle was to teach them lessons on utter dependence. That we ought to look not just for God's provision, but for God himself. Manna taught them this significant lesson. God was the source of not just their physical sustenance, but also their spiritual sustenance. And as you read Israel's wilderness journey, you would see that they failed over and over in learning this very lesson. But our example in the wilderness is not the nation of Israel. It is the Lord Jesus. Because as you read Deuteronomy chapter 8, our minds immediately goes to Jesus and his temptations. At a time when Jesus was face to face with the tempter in a literal wilderness, he meditated on this very chapter of the Bible that we are studying today, and he used it to defeat the enemy. Here's the parallel between Israel and Jesus. Just as it was God's purpose to lead Israel to the wilderness to humble and test them for 40 years, Jesus, the Son of God, at the forefront of his ministry, was also humbled and tested for 40 days. And Jesus passed the test with flying colors. 
right after his baptism in the Jordan River, Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. This is not Jesus' own choosing, but he was led and directed by the Holy Spirit into this wilderness experience. And Jesus fasted for 40 days and nights, and then the tempter came to him. Let me read to you from Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The text tells us, after fasting 40 days and nights, Jesus was hungry. I tell you, that is an understatement. He was starving. He was famished. I don't think any of us know from experience what it means to not eat for 40 days. Some of us feel hungry two hours after lunch. Jesus had not eaten for 40 days and nights. And at that vulnerable moment, the enemy came and he was saying, Jesus, think of who you are. You don't need to be hungry. You don't need to starve. You don't even need to wait for God to act. You can make it happen. Just speak to these stones and turn them into peanut butter sandwiches. You know, as a human being with a physical body like ours, everything inside Jesus was craving for food. Did Jesus have the power to turn the stones into bread? Of course he did. And Satan whispered to Jesus, satisfy your need now. Why continue in hunger when it, it is within your power to feed yourself? Do something to get out of this wilderness. The heart of this subtle temptation was to act independently of God, to defy the very lessons God was teaching in the wilderness on dependence. How did Jesus respond? He quoted the text in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus made it very clear. I know my God will provide for my needs. I would rather be hungry than break my trust in God. Jesus clearly drew the line, and he refused to act independently, maintained his trust and dependence, and looked to God alone to meet his needs. 2,000 years later, nothing has changed. The temptation in the wilderness is the same. The temptation in your personal wilderness is always to short-circuit the process and do it your way. Take matters into your own hands and stop relying on God. In your wilderness, sometimes the enemy will taunt you. How long are you going to hold on to God by faith? It's not working. Your God has not come through. He is not reliable. He has let you down. Why trust him any longer? And in those moments of real testing, continue holding on to God by faith. 
Even when it is cloudy, it is murky, it is dark and dismal, and you cannot see what's ahead of you, just trust that God has your best interests at heart. Nothing honors God more than our trust. It's precious. It's precious to Him. I want to close with another example of someone who trusted God alone for his provisions. And this time it's from Christian history. George Mueller lived in the 1800s in England. He wanted to show his generation that God's power is not limited and walking by faith works even today. As he looked at Bristol and saw hundreds of orphans, the Lord put it on his heart to start an orphanage where these children could be fed, loved, educated, and more importantly, introduced to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what is really incredible is Mueller was not just motivated to help orphans in need, he was even more interested in proving to the world that it was possible to live off the promises and faithfulness of God. So he made it his main goal to live a life and lead a ministry in such a way that it will prove to the world that God is real, He is trustworthy, He still answers prayers. And as you may know, Mueller determined in his heart, all through his ministry, never to ask anyone for financial support for the orphanage. Never sent out letters asking for donations. And without judging others who did it, Mueller felt called to do it differently. And that was not easy. There were many close calls, many wilderness experiences. But with God's help, Mueller's ministry cared for over 10,000 orphans during his lifetime. And Mueller kept a meticulous record of his financial needs, his prayer requests, and God's intervention without ever asking a single human being for help. Mueller humbly claimed that the Lord had answered 50,000 requests, 30,000 of them in the same hour or day in which they were asked. Mueller's life is such a reminder for us today that God still sends manna in our wilderness. His provisions always come at the right time, and God will faithfully meet all of our needs. The question is, do we have the faith to trust Him fully? In fact, that's the main lesson God is teaching us through the wilderness. I'm going to ask all of us to stand as we come to an end. You know, there are some of you here, you're right in the middle of a personal wilderness experience. And as I reminded you, the temptation in the wilderness is always to short-circuit the process. But knowing God's character, that He's a good Father, understanding God's divine providence, you can actually say to God today, 
God, you can keep me in the wilderness as long as you want. But just teach me to obey and trust. And God would deepen your walk with him in the wilderness to shape you, to mold you, to change you in areas where you need to change. So when he brings you out at the right time, you will be prepared for what he has in store for you. So let's maintain a moment of silence right now. I want us to speak to God. He's very attentive to what we have to say right now. So in the quietness of this moment, whisper to God what's in your heart and reaffirm your faith and trust in him and his good purposes for your life. After a moment of silence, I'll close this in prayer. Father, we thank you for your divine providence that you can take what may be an adverse event and turn it around and bring something good even out of it. So we trust in you, in your faithfulness, in your plans and purposes for our life. I want to pray especially for those who are in the middle of a wilderness experience. God, I pray in the midst of this furnace, you will forge their faith. Their confidence in you will grow and they will learn to trust and depend in you and in your faithful provisions. Thank you, God, that you have promised to meet all of our needs. So we come to you in all humility, seeking you for your provision, for manna in our personal wilderness. May our confidence and trust in you grow even more stronger that we will be ready for what you have in store in the next season of our life as you prepare us through the wilderness. And even as we leave this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet, unfailing fellowship of the Holy Spirit may rest and abide with each and every one of us, both now and forevermore. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.